This is the Publicity for Pet Businesses podcast with Rachel Spencer. Listen in each week for tips on ways to win media coverage and create content to make sure your pet business stands out from the competition. This week on the podcast, I've got a really exciting spotlight episode with Debbie Humphreys from Red Hound for Dogs. So Debbie has been running Red Hound for Dogs, which is a accessory and lifestyle brand for whippets and their humans for the last 12 years. And we're talking all about what it takes to build a successful pet product business. There is so much brilliant advice in this episode from Debbie, who has a fascinating background in fashion before moving into the pet industry and so much knowledge and expertise to share with you. Debbie started out as a wedding dress designer working with huge names like Bruce Oldfield and Jenny Packham and all kinds of other amazing designers. She then had her own dog and found herself making making jumpers and products for him and then that grew into a brand and Debbie has had huge success with her products being featured in Habitat and the white stuff. Debbie's now niche to working purely with whippets and in this episode we talk about how she's grown her brand how she coped during lockdown how she even had her poor husband knitting frantically to get orders out how she uses social media why she's always learning and much much more so i think you're going to learn loads from this episode do go and check debbie out on her brilliant work that she does at red hound and now on for the main part of the show and the interview with debbie Hi, Debbie. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Can you tell me a little bit about how you started Red Hound and what you did before you came into the pet industry? Well, we've had Red Hound for dogs now for 12 years. Uh, before that, I had a very brief time in Devon with a gift shop. Um, but because I wasn't really making anything, I decided that I would set up Red Hound for dogs because I would be making stuff. But before we did the brief little foray down in Devon, for 17 years, I had a wedding dress shop with a dear friend of mine, Andrea. And before that, we met at Jenny Packham's, uh, where we both worked on her evening wear designer collections. And um, that was in the early 90s. In the early 80s, I worked for a designer called Gina Frattini, who basically trained me professionally because I had been sewing since I was 10 um or roundabout because my mum was a very keen sewer and I used to watch what she did and I picked it up and I just started sewing using her machine and it wasn't long before I was selling things to people at school school friends wanted me to make them something so I said yeah I will but it will cost you this much uh, so I had a nice little sideline going while I was at school I didn't pursue it after school I went off to um, Oxford Poly as it was then and did a degree in biology uh, but once I got that academic thing out of my system, I suppose, the creativity was was just beckoning and I, I couldn't stop myself. So I found a job in the industry. And like I say, Gina Fratini sort of trained me up. She knew I could sew. So she um, she took a punt on me for 80 quid a week. Oh and I, I, yeah, I know, back in the 80s. I mean, I, I was travelling up from Oxford to London. So at the time I'd paid my fares and my rent I had like virtually nothing to live on but it was such a good opportunity because she was she had her dresses in Harrods and Lucienne Phillips and Knightsbridge all the really top stores had Gina's stuff and she was really really well respected designer and I was so passionate about I loved watching I loved evening wear so much I absolutely all the love of fabrics and so by the time I got around to working at Jenny Packham's 
you know, I'd worked in lots of different places by then. I'd look, I'd, I'd lived abroad a little bit. I'd worked in places that made um, denim dungarees right through to designer clothing and ladies' blouses from Arts and Spencers. And I had done a lot, but evening wear and special occasion wear was the thing that I really loved. So it sort of came back to that when I went to work at Jenny Packham's and was lucky enough to work there for a couple of years uh, where I met Andrea who then later became my business partner in our little venture into bridal wear, which we um, we funded by doing work for other designers. So we did a lot of work for people like Bruce Oldfield, Jasper Conrad, Amanda Wakeley, Bendelisi, you name them. We kind of did work for them. So um, that financed us for the first few years. And then we did our own collection. And then we got a shop, which was the most amazing thing. And um, carried on with the bridal wear. So, yeah, we did that for 17 years until I got fed up with it and decided it wasn't for me anymore. And uh, by that time, I already had Bruno, my little puppy, my puppy Rupert. So um, so that was that was the end of that. And then it led on to the dog wear. So tell me how the idea for creating dog wear um, came about. And also, I'm just so fascinated. I'd love to talk to you for hours about the designers that you've worked for. It's like listening to something off Ab Fab. But we are here to talk about dog wear today, aren't we? But it is also for yeah. anyone, anyone who's, um, you know, anyone who's a little bit older than a millennial, maybe, will be as excited as I am about some of the people you've worked with. But tell me about how you started making clothes for Whippets. And I know that Bruno had something to do with this, didn't he? Yes, he did. He um, he came, uh, when did I get him? I got him in 2003 and we didn't sell the wedding dress shop till 2007. So even though we'd had a Whippet cross dog, a rescue dog when I was a child, um, that little dog pitched. She didn't feel the cold. I think she was crossed with the Jack Russell. She was mostly Whippet, but I think she had a bit of Jack Russell in her. And we lived on a farm. She was quite roughly tufty. She never really felt the cold. Because if she had, my mum or I would have knitted her a jumper. But, you know, we, we she never did. And she never wore a coat throughout her whole life. Um, and then when I got Bruno, it became very apparent very quickly that he had alopecia. So when he was six months old, he was diagnosed with alopecia. I thought he had fox mange and were all sorts of things, tests and things that they did. But eventually they tested him and realised that, uh, no, it was it was alopecia. And so he felt the cold and hated the rain. And at that time, if you think back to the, the early 2000s, the internet wasn't what it is now. You know, there, there, there were, obviously it was internet shopping and there were emails and that kind of thing. But you couldn't. As far as the pet industry was concerned, people with a whippet now are so spoiled because there's there's loads on offer, isn't there? You know, mm-hmm. for any type of dog, if you've got a terrier, if you've got a whippet, any dog that needs anything, you can go online and Google it and a dozen companies are going to come up and you can buy something. But back then, there was nothing really. I take him to the pet shop and get a coat, but of course it wasn't shaped like a whippet, so it used to just hang off his back. Um and and so in the end, I started knitting him jumpers. Yeah. Uh, it sort of rekindled my love of knitting, which I hadn't done for years and years. So he sort of encouraged that back, which I'm really pleased he did because it went on to me having a book published but um, and him being on the front cover, obviously. 
but he, yeah, he hated the rain and he, he really hated the cold because he felt it so much more. So he needed clothes. And having wasted a lot of money on expensive things that just didn't fit him, eventually I decided I needed to have a go at making him coat myself. I mean, let's face it, I'd made wedding dresses. It wasn't really that difficult <laughs> to make a dog coat. Um, how he made those com complicated dresses. So it, it led on from there. And at the time, by then, we'd sold the wedding dress business. We had the shop in Totnes. Um, and we were already selling dog beds that we were having made and dog collars that we were having made by a local. And I came across a little factory down in, um, oh, what's the name of it? Torquay. That's right. And they were a knitwear factory. So I thought, fantastic. Because I was knitting hand-knitted in jumpers, but they took a lot of time. I wanted to machine knit him something and maybe offer something in the shop for other dogs. And this little knitwear company down in Torquay, I worked with them and we developed this fantastic little jumper that was made out of knitted fabric. Yes. So they would knit the panels. It was very time-consuming because you had to knit panels then you had to uh, wash them, dry them, press them before you could cut the panels out. So it was very time consuming. We started off really small and we, we just had a few different sizes. But of course, Bruno loved his and other, other dogs in the town were coming in saying, well, I want one too. And it went on from there. And eventually we went and bought our own knitting machine, which David, my husband, was brilliant at using. He learned how to use it. And his mother used to have a knitting machine. So when she passed away, he came home with a load of old vintage uh, pattern cards that you put into these knitting machines. So I knew that nobody else had anything like it because they were vintage. Yeah. So we knitted up loads and loads of these. And um, it was great because, like I say, they were different. And we were making these jumpers and we did those at the beginning for quite a long time. And actually, we got them into white stuff. They approached me at a show. We had got them into lots of independent pet shops as well and sold them online because we did lots of different sizes. We didn't only do whippets then, you see. So we did terriers and toy dogs and, and dash hound sizes. And But eventually, it, it did get to the point where they were just really not that viable to produce Yeah, because we were doing all – I mean, every evening, David, he had a full-time job, but he was knitting these blooming panels, you know, and we were – putting them through the wash and in our tumble dryer and when we had that order from white stuff oh why we worked day and night to get that order out but um yes it was but anyway I suppose from there on it it, it just we then decided to do the fleece jumpers because it was easier mm -hmm. and we phased out the knitted ones but anyway I can't even remember what the question was so <laughs> no no it's we were just talking about how you started making clothes for whippets and um, Bruno yeah, inspiring so gear and then yeah, and the, the thought that imagining you knitting away, Christ, I'm surprised you've got any, any hands left with doing all well, the white stuff. It must have been huge. It, it was. And actually, I remember we, we had we had two outworkers at the time who were helping, luckily, because I couldn't have done it all myself. And uh, I remember one lovely outworker, she um, she'd put she did a load of them. She had about 20 of them for us. And she'd put the little legs in the wrong way round, bless her. And so we had to unpick all of them and put them all because we had a deadline. We had to get these stuff delivered up to white stuff to go in. I think two stores, I think they did it in. And it went in their catalogue that year as well. 
So it was really exciting for our business because we thought, oh, gosh, this is it. You know, we've really made it now. Um, but of course, it doesn't always work out that way. And um, it was it was good at the time, but they were too time consuming. So we knew that we needed to move on to something that wasn't quite as in, intense, let's put it that way. But I suppose that was really the beginning. That was one of the first products. And we did wax coats as well. And they did sell really well and they sold for lots. So we did used to do the Babington Horse Trials and the Burley mm-hmm. Horse Trials and the Country Living Shows. We did a lot of hard legwork in those shows to get our name out there and, and get the customers because you couldn't, in, you know, going back 12 years, you had to do a lot of work to get on a Google ranking, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I don't think you could fast track it the way that you can now. If you know the hacks now, you can get yourself up a little bit in Google but in those everything we've got every ranking we've got has been organic because I've never really known about those routes you know we've just done it the hard the traditional way let's put it that way it's like um when I was listening to you then talking about going to all the shows and the the legwork and the graft like you say it's like um it's like the dog apparel equivalent of the pop industry isn't it so you had like the spice girls who went out and they auditioned and they really you know they really got the really rolled the sleeves up and now you can just go on the x factor and then you're famous aren't you but it's yeah it's like that isn't it like things were so different back then weren't they they really were and um it doesn't seem that long ago but that was the best way to get to get out there yeah and, and meet the customers and because you couldn't just sit back, set up a, an online shop and suddenly be making money. Just I don't I don't even know if that happens now, but I think it is easier now than it than it was for us. But um yeah, that was that was what we did years of that. Years of it. So fast forward to where you are now. Tell me about the products and the lines and the ranges and stuff that you've got on your website now that don't involve you having to knit for hours on end and bring anyone, <laughs> anyone who can use a knitting needle in to help you. What kind of stuff do you have now? Well, well we do basically now we've niched into whippets. Yeah. We, did, we did that about four years ago, I think it was. It was a bit of a light bulb moment because we were still doing all the different breeds and all the different sizes. And, and, I, and I suddenly thought to myself we can't I can't concentrate enough on the whippet clothing because I'm also trying to be good at all these other dog breed sizes as well so I'm going to ditch all of them and I'm just going to do whippet stuff whippet wear basically um and Frankie Bruno our two whippets that we because we had Bruno first and then he was joined by Frankie a little rescue lurcher when he was about a year old and they went through their younger years with me not doing very much. You know, I did, I knitted Bruno jumpers, but it was only in their sort of later years when we were, we had the business and we, I was still making stuff for them, but they had different requirements. An older dog, you know, the wax coats were very much on my mind because they were practical and they were warm and they were windproof. And when we lost both of them the same year, within three months in 2017, I didn't think we'd have another whippet, but it it so well. I didn't think we'd have another whippet so soon mm-hmm. because uh, well, we just felt it wouldn't be right. We felt we couldn't replace either of them. It was a it was a pretty awful time. But also, being in the business of making whippet wear, not having a whippet in my life, felt really bizarre. Yeah. So it it 
it actually happened very quickly with George because my brother had contacted the breeder of his dog when Bruno died and said, um, my sister's dog's just died. She's definitely going to need another one. Do you Have you got any litters planned? Because Toffee's got the most lovely temperament and we, we knew him really well. And she said, well, funnily enough, his sister is just about with Pup. So that's how we got George. So he's he's my brother's dog's nephew, which yeah. is lovely to have that connection. So he he came along in the in the September of the same year, so 2017. And then in 2018, we adopted Winnie, who was the same age as him. So they were both nine months. So we had these two crazy young puppies. I, I would never do it again, but it, it's lovely. And it, we said we're not having two the same age again. And uh, we're going to just have one for a while. We said all of that and it just all goes out the window and you get offered one that needs a home. So anyway, the upshot of it is that having had oldies who had certain requirements, I was very much designing around their needs. And then when we got the young ones, of course, they got completely different requirements. They're much more active. They, um, you know, one particular night we were in the pub and it it was a summer evening. The weather had been lovely. We hadn't bothered to look at forecast. By the time we left the pub and had to walk home, the heavens had opened and we had to walk in this torrential rain. And these two gave us such attitude. They were like drowned rats when we got back to the car. So were we, but I felt more wretched for them. So I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to design a lightweight coat that we can pack away and have in the rucksack at all times. And that's when the Whip It Away Mac came about. So that was 2018, actually, we did that. So, and that is, that there's now four of those, mm-hmm. four different styles, and they are by far our best-selling product because they're great for young ones, old ones, you name it. But also fleece jumpers, which were inspired by Bruno, because that was a an add-on to the wool jumpers. We developed onto the fleece jumpers. They are still best-selling product. Yeah. So uh, we, we've got a, a range of, of whippets items we also do t-shirts for whippets so i try to do things that they need mm-hmm. things that are not just for fashion but things that are stylish yet useful yeah so it has to be functional and it has to be stylish so those are my two things you know well what will the dog need it for so things like we have a high vis coat because of the being asked of people who lived in the countryside where there's no Streetlights, they had to walk their dogs down lanes at night. They didn't feel safe because the dog didn't have reflective, you know. So we've done the be seen coat, which has reflective piping on it. Um, we've got warm coats that are fleece lined because we were asked from people, often abroad actually, like Scandinavia and Canada, where they'd have a lot colder winters. They wanted a, a fleece lined coats. So we've developed those. We've got pretty much you know any type of coat or whippet is going to need and a lot more washable stuff yeah <laughs> it's more practical isn't it at the end of the day yeah definitely wow okay and I know I listened before we were chatting before um, we've arranged this chat I listened to you on another podcast and in on there you talked about the volume that you um you know the volume of products that you're sending out can you give us a little bit of an insight into how many um, you know, the kind of volume that you're producing as well? Well, things have changed quite dramatically in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, obviously, we all had lockdown. 
before lockdown, we were still in our old barn where we'd been for eight years. Yeah. And it was pretty cramped in there. We knew we couldn't do another Christmas in there. At the time, I had two part-time machinists and helping out and a part-time cutter who was helping obviously with the cutting because I do a bit of cutting as well um and we had Wendy Alpaca who was doing part-time so everybody was rubbing along quite nicely but at Christmas time like from October through to January we we hadn't coped the year before I don't know how we got through it. It was it was really. But anyway, I'm sure that is we got through that. We knew that we needed bigger premises and we were chatting to somebody. We were on the list for this bigger place. And then lockdown happened. And so that was March. We were up to date with everything. We were managing. We were getting ready for crafts, actually, because we went to crafts just before lockdown in 2020. And so we'd made an awful lot of stuff for that. And then lockdown happened and I thought, well, that's it. Business is going to go. But it didn't. Pet industry boomed because everybody went to online. We did spend our time wisely because, of course, it happened in March. So we weren't in the busiest time. But in that time, we moved into a bigger premises uh, we got very thrifty and used a lot of, as we were moving, we ha- we didn't want to move with all the fabric. So we used a lot of fabric that we had left over. We made um, a, a coat, a lightweight coat that was, we made out of what we had left so we could put it out at a really good price. It was practically cost price. Because the other thing I thought, well, money's going to be tight for people as well. So we did that. That did really well. I also did loads of knitting tutorials on Instagram where I gave away free patterns. I did knitting courses on how to knit your dog a snood just because I knew people would need something. And I needed something. I wanted to help people too. We made scrubs for hospitals. We we did what we what we could to get through it. And actually, by that, we'd moved into the new place in July. Uh, we have a catalogue that goes out in September. We sent the catalogue out and and well <laughs> it just it just went it went mad. It went absolutely mad. By then we had a bit more help because we had another sewer and we had more space, but we I don't know how we got through that Christmas of 2020. I really I think I went through that whole time just feeling massively overwhelmed and like I, I was just gonna crack up. <laughs> Because I think we had at any one time we had 400 items to make on the list. It was, yeah, eight pages of make list. The make list is a bit of a joke in our place. Yeah. Um, so I've always got my list. And when it got to eight pages and 400 items and people had to wait four weeks for their – so nobody minded. That's the thing I minded, but nobody minded. But I felt I fell short of, of the service that I wanted to give. And so – <laughs> we got through it. I mean, a lot of that was a Christmas jumper that I had very naively just shoved in the catalogue because we had half a page to fill, but we hadn't made any. We had the fabric, but I didn't expect to sell very many. But we got to 200 orders within within the first week and we hadn't made any. So it, it showed me that that Christmas that we needed to get more, more people to help. Yeah. So through last year, we've we've managed to take on some more sewers so there's now 
there's now nine of us that work in the business yeah. and two that two that work remotely as well. Well, three actually, because we've got um, a lovely outworker that works at home. And but everybody mostly works inside. They work in with us. And David, my husband, he also joined the business. I think that was last year. I think we're coming up for a year actually. And he's trained as a cutter now. So he's he's probably full almost completely through his apprenticeship, I would yeah. say. <laughs> and um he's he he works with Vicky two days a week. So effectively we've now got four days cutting, whereas we only had two. And if I need to cut for a day, it's only a day. So it it's it's been great because We've got the sewing machine, three machines going most days, and we've got cutting being done most days and packing being done. So we post two days a week most of the year. In the winter, we post four days a week. But say, so you were asking about, you know, the volume. It, it really is very seasonal. Mm-hmm. And the busy season, we have sort of from September through to March, we can be sending out anything from oh, I don't know 150 parcels a week yeah yeah something like that I suppose to be honest I don't I don't pay much we usually say well how many sacks is it some days we have a you know like yesterday we had a three sack day which is good for April um during the the winter and Christmas lead up we could be doing six seven sacks a day yeah. of parcels so we get through an awful lot but the upshot of having a bigger premises we we are outgrowing this one and we've got our eye on the one next door, but yeah. it's not available at the moment. <laughs> but we need more room for storage now because we are able to make stock as we go along now so we can sell nearly all our popular items like the fleece jumpers, the Whip It Away Max, the T-shirts. We've got stock made so people don't have to wait. So they order it, say they order it on a Monday, or they order it over the weekend, it goes out on a Monday, they order it on a Wednesday, it goes out on a Thursday. So they never have to wait more than five days, which is really a massive goal for me I wanted to achieve. And even the items we don't have made in all the sizes and all the colours, we can make that because we're really making stock most of the time, whereas previously we've just been reacting to orders and and the list you know, the dreaded list. The orders would come in, we'd have to go on a list and we'd have to work out what we needed to cut and then it had to be made. So there was a delay so it would take at least two weeks, sometimes four. But we don't have to do that anymore because we know what sells. We, I know what the popular colours and sizes are and we make sure that we have those in stock all the time. So it's a completely different shift. It's a strange shift because we've moved into the next phase with the business, but equally I'm somebody that really thrives under pressure. And when you're not feeling the pressure, and one of my our, our, um, our sewers actually, she feels the same. So because she's been with us quite a long time, and she sort of said, "Oh, it feels really strange that we don't have to get it done." And so when we've got a little deadline, we're all like, "Oh, great! You know, got to get that, got to get that." But it, but it's better for the packing department because we're not putting pressure on them at three o'clock in the afternoon saying, "Oh, when can you? You know, we've just got three or four things more we want to go in the post today." So it's 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 a much better way of working for everybody. It's more relaxed, but it, it feels very strange. But it remains to be seen whether it stays like that when we get to Christmas. So what kind of activities do you do to be at that level? 
where you can put I something see. out and have that, have those amazing sales. Yeah, I've spent many years building a, a really wonderful community on Instagram, but I have been on Instagram for over 10 years. It takes time and it's all organic, but you have to spend time on there. You have to be passionate about what you do and you have to genuinely get into conversations with people. I mean, I love my customers, mm-hmm. dogs, you know, and I. it's not difficult for me to converse with them on Instagram. I, I do a lot of Instagram stories. I've done loads of behind the scenes stuff. You've got to take them with you. I hate the word journey, but it is it is you have to take them on that because it's still very fascinating for a lot of people to see behind the scenes of a clothing manufacturing because it's not mainstream is it we don't we don't get to see that very often and I think the fact that well everything that's happened in the last two years we we can't deny the one thing that has happened is that it's been really great for British manufacturing because people want to buy something that's made closer to home so if you can show them that you're not just somebody on the internet, you are physically a group of people who are producing something beautiful for their dog, then they invest in you as well. Yeah. But the other thing, I, I've done two other things, Rachel. I invested money in somebody to uh, get our Pinterest up to speed. Yeah. And that We'd started doing that in April 2020 because I knew that my Pinterest was was rubbish and that it needed cleaning up. And I also knew that it was an amazing visual search engine. Yeah. So I uh, started working with a lovely, lovely lady called Rebecca who had been a customer of ours for a while. She had two of it, she's now got three. And I knew that she did this kind of thing remotely. So we had a chat because I also knew that she would lose a lot of her work when lockdown happened because the, the bigger companies that she worked for just cut their marketing budgets. So I thought, oh, goody, she'll have time for us now. But equally, from her point of view, she needed she needed the little job that we gave her as well. But she's been uh, she's been worth her weight in gold. And I would say to anybody if you're, you're not going to be at that stage at the beginning of your business, yeah. but don't underestimate Pinterest. Find out about it, work it out, and make it work for you because you'll get click-throughs. It took about six months, which is part of the reason why that Christmas 2020 was so busy because yeah. by that time, Rebecca had had like eight months on Pinterest to make it work for us, and boy, was it working because the click-throughs to our website from Pinterest were huge, more so than Google. So we we did that. The other thing I do, I have a Facebook group now. Mm-hmm. I had a Facebook page which was fantastically engaging, and I I've done a lot on Facebook over the years. I've done live auctions. I've done um, my knitted jumper auctions. We've we've you know done traditionally an awful lot on the page. But I just found not only me. I know a lot of people disillusioned with Facebook, and I just found I wasn't liking being there, and I was really struggling to think of what to say, hard to think of content because I wasn't getting as much engagement. And so I thought, oh, stuff it. I'm just going to I'm going to open a group, Red Hounders, for all things Whippet because then I'm going to get people who genuinely want to know about what we do. And last year I set myself a target. Every week I will do a live update on my Facebook group. And I only missed, I think it was three weeks. So I'm quite proud of myself doing that. 
a couple of times, obviously I think two of them were when we were on holiday and I think one was when the internet failed me or Facebook did something weird and I wasn't able to do it. So I really kept up that commitment. I set myself a goal and I did it and I love my little live update. Sometimes there's only, you know, a couple of people watching, but people watch it on the playback. Yeah. And I just take them behind the scenes. I show them what we're working on. I show, well, not so much now, but we'll come on to that. Yeah. Um, I, I show them what we've got in stock. You know, if I've got any seconds of anything, I pop it up there and they, they get the chance to buy it a bit cheaper. I do a swap it and sell it Saturday so they can put any of their red hand items, perhaps their dog's grown out of, or they might want to change the colour so they want to sell it. So we do that on a Saturday. We do a, you know, let's have a chat about day. It's a really lovely group. And I've grown that to 1,200 people now. So as you know, because you've got your own Facebook group, haven't yeah. you? You know how much more engaging it is in a group. And and I I have a lot of groups that I'm a member of on Facebook. And I don't look at my feed. I just go to the groups yeah. and see what's going on in the group. Because you feel like you're within like-minded people. So it it, it, it works much better than just a Facebook page. So they're the three things that I've done. Basically, invest, I've invested my time, massive amount of time on Instagram. I've invested in somebody to get my Pinterest up and going. And I invest in the Facebook group. So those are the things that have got me to the point where we can sell out our Christmas jumpers within, you know, that amount of time, stupid yeah. amount of time. <laughs> and, and we have very limited numbers as well. That was the other thing. We didn't have much stock. Yeah. Uh, but also what I did in the lead up to that, I took people when I was there on a Saturday making cutting and making them, you know, I, I took them along with it so they knew. Yeah. And the, the stalwart customers, they don't they missed out the year before, they didn't want to miss out again. So they were ready and waiting as soon as they went live at nine o'clock that day. We were walking the dogs and literally by the time we we hadn't even got out to the end of our walk, everything had practically sold. It was bonkers. And I was getting messages from people saying, I had it in the car. And when I got to pay, it was it wasn't available. Like, Sorry, somebody else must have paid out paid before you. So it was it was I wouldn't I wouldn't want to go through that again. It was a bit that was a bit stressful because I felt bad that I couldn't help everybody. But it won't happen this year. Yeah. Because we should have plenty. So wow. Okay. No, it's just fascinating to see a bit of the like what goes on. Cause I know I, I you know I've known you for a good few years now through our mutual friend Kerry Jordan who's your, yes. one of your photographers isn't she yeah um Jan Marie um from yeah. being in her community and I remember seeing you um on an email from Sarah Tasker who's like the Instagram queen isn't she and she yeah. was championing you as an Instagram superstar so that's like was she? yeah it was on an email from her you were a I case to be on that yeah I, I need to find that. it <laughs> oh do I'd love that I, I, yeah. I did Sarah's course. That was the other thing I did with my Instagram. I did Sarah's course, the Insta Retreat. And I learned so much on that course. And the great thing about that course is that you're a lifelong member. So I can dip back in as and when. And she she added a podcast, I think, last year. And so it was great because I can re-listen to, to the classes. And then you always pick up that little nugget, don't you? You never stop learning when you've got a business. I think you, you have to invest some of that time in yourself, don't you? Mm, definitely. To, to, to learn things that, you know, I, I wasn't that good at Instagram. And I and I felt, I mean, I had a, okay, it was building quite nicely, but I, I just felt like I needed a bit more structure in it and I needed to know a little bit more about it. And when I did her course, uh, I just, I loved 
everything the way she, that she teaches about Instagram because she teaches you to be authentic and be yourself. And if you can be yourself and people are on there because you're being yourself and they love what you do, then they'll, they'll stick around and they'll support you. So Debbie, I love the stuff that you've shared. I love that you're always learning um, and always you know, working on new things and moving with the times and all those different things. Um, you shared loads of really brilliant advice. So what would your advice be to other pet businesses who've got big aspirations? They might be starting out, they might be, you know, they might have had a tough few years, um, but they want to keep going. What would your advice be to them? Oh, gosh. Well, the first thing I would say is don't even start if you're not passionate about your product, because it's that passion that's going to drive you forward and give you the strength when you feel like giving up, because quite frankly, you will at times really feel like giving up. Um, I would also say, you know, work out why you want to do what you do and who you're trying to help. Because if you've got those things very clear in your mind, then you can keep the passion for your product. There will be a market for your product. You've just got to find a way to find those customers to get it to that market. I would say start part-time and be prepared to put in the hours. Don't expect to be an overnight success. Whatever you might see on social media it's not true because there is no such thing as an overnight success. You've got to be prepared to do small dog shows in wet fields um, to get your name out there, get your product out there, get people talking about it. You've just got to be prepared to put in the legwork. Um, keep an eye on the money. Spend wisely. Don't borrow for something that will that won't progress your business. But if you've got something that you in mind that you know will progress your business maybe you need to buy a new machine that will make your product brilliantly and efficiently then that's a, that's a good use of money that you're borrowing but if you're just borrowing it for cash flow don't do it don't do it because it will come back and haunt you if you can make make the product that you're selling you'll always have an advantage but you will also need to know when to delegate that work to others because that need will arise as you grow. And that's been one of the hardest things for me the very first time that I delegated out sewing to somebody else. But it has been the reason we survived and succeeded. And overall, I'd say be prepared to sacrifice and work harder than you've ever worked because it takes usually about five to six years to break even. And you'll need to reinvest your, your profits basically for those first five you know, four or five years, um, because if you don't, then you, you haven't got a viable business going forward. You can't just keep taking out. You've got to keep putting in for those first few years. So if you've got some financial support behind you, uh, maybe with a partner in your life, or you've got some money set aside, you're going to have a much better chance. That's such good advice, Debbie. Um, I've got a client I've been working with, actually, and she's at that point where she's looking to get other people to do some work for her. And it's I guess it's really hard to let go, isn't it? Um, but, you know, you've got to do it. To, you've got to do it to go. Yeah. yeah, you do. You do. You just have to take that plunge and, and be prepared that you'll have to guide them and help them. And there's lots of other... Uh, help out there on the internet there's um, a fantastic organization called make it british and she has some fantastic courses on how to manufacture in the uk so you know it might be that you get in touch with someone like that or you maybe join if you can afford to 
but there there are places out there that can help and and maybe start small start local there's always a sower or somebody willing to come in and help local to you and and keep it as local as possible Uh, that's my general advice it's worked for us and you can keep a closer eye on things if you do that yeah and the money side of things as well that what you said about the five years five or six years like we see we just get dazzled by so much on the internet don't we and I know from my own experience of having this business alongside the journalism and thinking oh you know I've seen all these people they you know they have like waiting lists and then they wake up and there's like some money in their PayPal account the reality is it doesn't really work like that does it but no, keeping no. going um being resilient as well isn't it and yeah, yourself yeah. from the from the winds and the wobbles yeah, oh, absolutely. You've got to be able to do that. But I do think, though, Rachel, and you probably think this, this too, you know, you know why you do what you do and you know who you're helping and that drives you forward. Yeah. If you start a business, you might have a great product, but who is it for? Why are you doing it and who is it for? You might just think, oh, it's a great product and I like it and I'm going to make it. But you've really got to think. I mean, for us, obviously, it was a shivering whippet that started everything. And there really wasn't very much on the market at the time. You couldn't buy a coat that fitted a whippet shape. You couldn't buy a jumper that fitted a whippet shape. So there was a real need. Um, But also, I believed in it because I had that shivering whippet. I lived my customer, my customer's life. And and I do think that 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 really helps too. And if you're passionate about what you do, it will carry you through. Mm-hmm. thick and thin definitely and the passion as well um and also I sometimes have conversations with people and they'll say well I make a bow tie or I make a you know I create like logo t-shirts and they think because they're not you know they're not making a supplement for arthritic dogs or something that that's slightly less I guess worthy maybe might be the right word but actually you know we need our dog slogan jumpers we need our bow ties um, and it's, you know, the, I think sometimes you've got to put yourself in your customer's shoes and the delight that they have when they get you. Yes, products. exactly. You've got to think about the joy that your product brings people. It's yeah. not always the practical. For me, it's about it's about style and practicality. And that's always been my thing. But, you know, there's plenty of products out there that we buy because they just simply bring us joy. And a slogan T-shirt is a perfect example of that. I mean, you're a terrier lady, aren't you? So I know, you, you know, any any sort of, stylish t-shirt with a terrier slogan you're probably going to be attracted to because you think well that's just me and I would be for Whippet too I haven't yet found one with a Whippet slogan that I like in the right color and shape but if somebody wants to get out there and make it then they can have their first customer (laughs) (laughs) absolutely love that the bringing joy I really love that advice and I will be shouting about it as well because I think it's something people need to hear um so Debbie thank you so much for joining me on the podcast it's been really fab chatting to you I know you shared so much fascinating stuff and so much wisdom as well so tell us where we can find out more about you oh you can find us at redhamfordogs.com uh instagram at redhamfordogs i've got a facebook group called red hounders for everything whip it i've also got a facebook page but i don't use it very much and on pinterest we're at red dogs brilliant okay thank you i will put all your links in the show notes as well for this episode so swipe up if you're listening on an app or on my website they'll all be there at the bottom of the post debbie thank you so much for joining me again it's great to see you thanks for having me thank you for listening to the publicity for pet businesses podcast for more free resources and ways to promote yourself as a pet entrepreneur visit www.publicityforpetbusinesses.co.uk dot uk